If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity, and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Azita Arvani. She is uh, many things. She's a digital transformation evangelist. She's a global strategy and business development high-tech leader. She's a public company board member and, uh, and much more. Recently, she left Nokia where she was the head of innovation partner and venture management. She holds uh, degrees from UCLA, from USC, from Stanford, and probably more, but that's where the page ends, so we'll just go with that much. Welcome to the show, Azita. Thank you very much for having me, Byron. It's good to be on the show. So what is a digital transformation evangelist? Digital transformation evangelist is really um, somebody who goes and talks to CEOs and boards of companies and talks to them about how they can reinvent their company to use the latest digital technologies, but to serve for serving their customers better and running their business more efficiently. The difference with my thesis and other definitions of digital transformation is that the emphasis is on serving the customer better, number one. I noticed in that article you wrote uh, on your LinkedIn page, you say uh, the term's almost overused that transformations really need to be transformative, right? Absolutely, because a lot of times when you think about digital transformation, people have all kinds of various projects running in, like I, I was a uh, the company that we had, uh, you know, 200 AI projects, right? And they were kind of being done in silos. You, you walk into a manufacturing company, you see uh, factory automation, you see supply chain management, you see, you know, digital marketing, customer care chatbots. I mean, those are all great things, but they are they have limited, narrow focus, and that's not transformational. Those are just point solutions to point problems. So, what would be something that would be truly transformational? Truly transformational would be, like an example would be something that starts from the top where the CEO is absolutely committed to transformation and the board is keeping the CEO accountable. And every all the CXOs are aligned together to work on that. So the strategy is top down, the implementation is bottom up. It could be done in stages and you know you wait for the return to come in and so forth. But that that's what, so uh, I have a term I use sometimes, I call it Amazonify your business, you mm-hmm. know, like, with a, you know, you, you start with a strategy that how do I serve my customer better if I started as a digital native today? So you have to be customer obsessed. You have to you know, change your culture to be more of a startup, move fast, entrepreneurial culture. And you have to use at least the four foundational technologies of AI, IoT, cloud, and 5G slash 4G slash satellite, meaning next generation networks. Are those the four technologies you see bringing about most uh, trans- transformation in enterprises today? I see those four as foundational technologies that affect each and every industry. And that's the foundation for fourth industrial revolution. Then of course, depending on what other sector you're in, more things can apply. You know, like you go to financial services, you know, you have to worry about cryptocurrency, you have to worry about blockchain, you, you go to manufacturing, you worry about 3D printing and so on and so forth. You know, like you use AR, mm-hmm. VR but for a whole bunch of things. But to me, those ones. four 
are something that no matter what kind of business, hardware, software, manufacturing, aviation, whatever mm -hmm. you are in, these four are going to impact your industry. Well, we could have conversations about all of them, but but uh, shows voices in AI, so let's just talk about artificial intelligence for sure. a minute. Give me some, I always ask people to start with their definition of, of what it is, and then let's talk about how it's used and how it will be used and all of that. So sure. what is artificial intelligence? Why is it artificial? What's artificial about it? Is it really intelligence or does it just mimic intelligence and what is intelligence and all that? Sure, okay, so I think the definition, the, the artificial intelligence, the one that um, I would like to start with at least is to say that it's a sophisticated computational processing that's trying to mimic cognitive functions. Of course, we've had this sort of traditional Turing test about it, of whether or not it's distinguishable from human intelligence as one thing. But I think now we're starting to see that, hey, maybe some, in some areas this could be even more intelligent than what people can do. And, and so, um, yeah, so I'll start there. And then who knows, if you go to space and find some other tribe in another planet, they could be more intelligent than us. And maybe you could have our AI try to mimic what they're doing. Do you think, so you know, AI often is thought of in, in, in these two buckets. There's um, general intelligence, which we don't really know how to build, but uh, we see it in the movies. Like, right. And then there's the narrow intelligence, where we teach a computer to do one thing very well. Right. Do you think general intelligence comes from a gradual improvement in narrow, or is it possible that general artificial intelligence is a completely unrelated technology that this one little trick we're good at studying a lot of data and making patterns is just sort of a stopgap but that's not really the thing that's going to get us there yeah so okay so let me uh, that, that first of all that's an excellent question and let's look at the human intelligence in general right if you had asked me um, like when i was a young computer scientist uh, or younger computer scientists, what is the definition, you know, where can we do uh, like AI for everything, every kind of intelligence that we have? I would have probably said yes. I mean, eventually we can build a box, put the right input, the right algorithm, the right output, and then we could build something. And we are doing the narrow intelligence now, but in the future we could do general intelligence. But my view has evolved through that. You know, when I was a kid, I was, uh, came across a poem that said, life is a repeat of a repeat. At the time, I didn't understand what that meant, but uh, then later as an adult, you know, the, the, there are a lot of things that we do on our daily lives, day in and day out, that are very repetitive, right? So for those kinds of things, you know, AI works very well, and uh, you know, start from a narrow focus, and then maybe combine it with a couple of other narrow focuses and sort of broaden it. But then, when you look at things where we, uh, you know, we're talking about human creativity at its highest, like the superpowers that we have, whether those things, um, I don't believe that those can be done uh, with, you know, artificially. I think that, but those things happen sort of rarely. That's not something that we do all the time. We need to, as, as humans, we need to give ourselves you know, physical, emotional, mental space to create an environment where then we could come up with things like Einstein's relativity theory or, you know, Michelangelo's statues or, you know, Picasso's uh, cubism. You know, those things cannot be done uh, 
uh, with, with artificial intelligence. Well, be clear about that, because there's one question I ask all of my guests, mm -hmm. and nine, uh, you're guest number 103. Okay, that's a lucky number. <laughs> 90, all but five, uh -huh. answer this question in one way. Yeah. And the question is, are people machines? Do you think there's anything in a person? Because general intelligence is, the only, nobody knows how to build it, but the thesis on why we can build it is, we have it, and we're just machines. And right. so someday we'll build a machine that has it. Like, right, right. So do you believe people are machines or not? That's what I'm... Right, so I would say that, like I said, when I was younger, I would say, yes, mm -hmm. they could be modeled and they could be, we could be machines, but now, uh, I have, my thinking has evolved to think that there's a spectrum of intelligence that we have. Sort of the, on one end of the spectrum, we're talking about very repetitive type mm -hmm, of things. Mm -hmm. Those can definitely be uh, artificially done. But then there is these kind of superpowers that we have that we don't necessarily do it all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because even evolutionarily wise, it's not, you know, it's a lot of brain power, you know, it's just computationally not <laughs> Uh, good for our survival per se, but but those kinds of things are only they cannot be uh, done. And the ever. reason why I said that, yes, ever. And the reason why I say that is because first of all, there's too many degrees of freedom to get it right to you know, to see you know what is affecting that. And then the second thing is, you know, uh, most people think that you could sort of separate a machine, an individual, an intelligence, sort of in a black box, and then you could have mm -hmm. input, the right input, the, the right algorithm will give us the right output. But I believe that when it comes to those kinds of very conscious sort of superpower human things that we do, it, it, it cannot be separated in a box. You know, that it is mm -hmm. complete, you know, relationship with other things that are out there. And so because of that, I don't believe that that will come. Uh, you know, to fruition uh, anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that AI, the way it is and the way it would expand, like we, uh, you know, that, that we have, you know, GANs, which like, which is two neural networks together, you know. Battling things, it out. Yeah. Right, battling it out and things like that. One composes, one judges. Okay, fine. Th those, so it can get more and more sophisticated and the impact could be huge, whether positive or negative. Mm -hmm. So so the, the tool, the AI, it, is very powerful and is going to be more and more and more powerful. But I don't think it's right. Well, I uh, want to come back to that, yeah. and we can spend a lot of time there. But, but your answer to the to the other question, the the group of things people do that machines will not be able to do, uh, there's only a few reasons people sometimes think that. They think that because either people have a soul and machines don't, and that's where all that comes from, or they think that there's some high amount of emergence that happens in humans that we're not going to be able to replicate or that the brain is has a quantum phenomena in it and like what is what is different about us that allows us to do those things that machines can't do yeah to me it's the whole notion of uh, having um, something that's hard to describe where it comes from but it gives us that sort of notion of uh, Emotion, emotional entanglements, or consciousness, or empathy, and mm -hmm. all those things. I don't, you know, I don't see how we can imitate um, that. And again, the reason mm -hmm. for me is first, the degrees of freedom, and secondly, it's the uh, fact that you cannot separate 
the, in that case, the human from its environment, from other humans, from all the other things that are right. going on. So it's well, not there a is, box that can, then we can manipulate it. There is that. a belief that maybe an AGI would have to be embodied, that it would mm -hmm. have to experience, maybe it wanders around here and it's exploring the world yeah, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And the degree of freedom makes sense in that creativity isn't just trying random things or... Exactly. So but, that, yeah. but, but, but you mentioned consciousness, which I wrote a whole book about whether computers can be conscious or not. So I, I mull it, you know, as I lay in, in bed at night. And consciousness, for the record, is, you know, the experience of something. You can feel warmth, whereas computer can only measure temperature. Right. And so... If somebody would say, do you believe we'll ever build computers that can experience the world, that can feel warmth, empathy, you mentioned, you would say no. Yes. So let's talk now about the realm of the possible, right. the, the things that it can do. And, and you're saying, look, it may not be able to do that last little bit, but most of life is all of the rest. Exactly. And that's the stuff right. that it's going to be able to do. Right. Why do you think it's so, I don't want to say poor, so bad. But, like, you can teach a person with the sample size of one. Right. I can show you a photograph of a make-believe alien right. and say, find that alien upside down in the water, all of that. We need a million aliens to train the computer to spot them. Like, why are they so bad? And what do you think we do that makes us able to be trained on a sample size of one? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think we don't quite understand how the brain really figures out, uh, you know, does image recognition. Uh, however, we found out through, I guess, lots of trial and error and trying to at least initially mimic the way the neurons in the brain work and then later you know, adding other mathematical models to it, that if you throw a lot of data at things and then run it through different polynomials or other algorithms, you know, here comes something that's pretty good. You know, so I would say that it's, it's a lot of trial and error. And, and you know, as you know, uh, we've started with other kinds of things. We started with rule-based stuff that only worked to a certain degree and really couldn't be expanded. But this seemed to to work, and it, you know, uh, and it was shown. And so, so who knows? You know, like five years from now, it could be some other algorithm that will take hold, and then we'll go with it's that. It's funny though because, funny. like a little kid, right? Can you know they know what a cat is, right? And then one day they see one of those minx cats that doesn't have a tail. Right. And, then and they'll they say, figure it out. Yeah. they'll say, look, there's a kitty without a tail. Right. And yet right, right. everything they knew about life, cats have tails. And yet there was enough catness in that thing that they said it is still this item cat. Right, right, right. But this exception, which I had no reason to even believe could exist. Right, right, right. I'll give you another example that's interesting. So... You know, they, um, this image recognition on iPhones is, is pretty good, right? Even if I'm wearing my eyeglasses and not looking at it directly, it can recognize me. But then the other day, I, um, I had something in my mouth. <laughs> Looked at it, it couldn't recognize me. So it kind of shows that the biases that are in the data. So, you, you know, if you've been tested for, like, various kinds of, you know, emotional faces or even having a hat or having it sunglasses, it works fine. But try to put something big in your mouth and just open it wide, and it cannot recognize you. Uh -huh. um, so, what, in spite of, so you would agree that the technology, I mean, while we can do more stuff with it, it's still very nascent. We're yes, still in the early absolutely. days. So, where, what sorts of successes do you see companies having with, it, with artificial intelligence? What sorts of problems 
are they, yeah, what sorts of problems are you seeing? Yeah, so um, my, so I've done a lot of work in uh, telecom and I've also done work in other industries, but just there are certain things that kind of apply to telecom and other industries. There's a lot of back office stuff that, you know, people can apply um, AI to, which is kind of like the basic level of entry, if you will. You know, there's billing, uh, expense reports, and like RPA, you know, to, to uh, invoicing and, and uh, taking purchase orders and everything. And those actually solve big uh, problems, like in terms of efficiency and so forth. So that's kind of like very, very basic. And then you have those customer facing. So the next layer would be customer facing stuff like digital marketing, customer care, you know, like there's a lot of B2C examples of that. Like you've, you've bought this, let me recommend you that thing, you know, in, in the marketing realm or um, in customer care, you know, the technician can see, oh, you're asking me about um, uh, the, the how, how do I make iPhones, uh, you know, to stop the blue light at night. Uh, then someone else has asked the same question, so the, te the technician can give you a fast answer, right? Faster answer. Um, so that's the, the sort of customer-facing layer, if you will. And then there's the security level. I think that's, that's really exciting that affects all industries, right? Given the fact that now we're dealing with so much data and that the data has to be moved around to where it can be analyzed, either on the device or on the edge or on, uh, in, in, in some central cloud, um, that, that movement means that we are increasing the attack surface, right? So some of our traditional security um, tools are not enough, right? Just kind of protecting the perimeter with firewalls or doing deep packet inspection or looking at malware signatures and rule-based policies, those are not enough. So you have to have AI-based security system where you say, like in telecom, for example, this is my network, this is what it looks like, like do a baseline of what normal looks like, and then look at anomalies with that, and that could give you a clue that maybe there's a security breach somewhere, right? So, so AI-based security uh, systems uh, would, would help all industries. And then there's this uh, sort of IoT and industrial type things that you can have, like predictive maintenance, you could factory automation, you know, like, um, decision support systems, you know, a lot of things go on there. And then after that, you know, there's things that are very industry specific. In the case of, for example, with telecom, just doing the telecom network, which is the, the crown jewels of any network, like Verizon's, AT&T's, T-Mobile's, Sprint, like their crown jewels is their network, right? So that network now is going to 5G. So 5G is going to have this, this great feature called network slicing where applications can have their own little um, specific network. Uh, not, not the network that is a generic slice that you get, but you can say, okay, I want this kind of throughput, I want this kind of reliability, I want this kind of latency, right? And I only want it when my application is running and then it can go away. So that kind of network slicing, um, the, the whole lifetime uh, life cycle management of it uh, has to be automated using AI. Otherwise, it will just won't make sense. So those are just some examples of what. AI no, no, that's great. So yeah. you know, when you were rattling through all this stuff about security, do you believe we live in an ever more brittle world in the sense that because you know if the internet quote went down tomorrow, the gas pumps don't work and 
all this stuff doesn't work. Do you think that all of these systems, we, we are getting better, we have more redundancy and they're, they're more protected and they're more siloed, and, or are we building a world where something could happen that just, I don't know how the transcriptionist is going to deal with that. <laughs> something happens that's going to just bring it all failure, down. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, we, we could be vulnerable when it comes to electricity. You know, when mm. we had the wildfires in California and, and, and uh, PG&E was just kind of cutting the, mm -hmm. the, the power to certain areas, I was not one of the, the areas that the, the power was cut, but then I was just putting myself in that, like, what would I do? Like, I can't, like, there are a lot of things that I can't do, you know, if there's no electricity, right? Um, and then if you, if it becomes a massive outage, then you know, no data centers, no cloud, no this. So, so I think we do have a lot of dependencies on the cloud, on the network, uh, on electricity. And so if these, something happens to these things, um, you know, we are very vulnerable. You know, I think about IoT devices, because right. the interesting thing about them is they're generally not upgradable. You can't patch them, right? Well, depending. If you're talking about industrial IoT... Well, that you can, yeah. but I mean like a consumer, you know, the, the, the oven that's internet-enabled, if somebody can exploit that, the oven maker can't put out a patch. Why not? I most mean, of them are... can put out a patch. They right? can, but most, most IoT devices... Well, they don't, but they could, right? I mean, because... Oh, this, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, I mean, yes, that's not what's happening today, Correct. but they could. Right, they no, could no, you're that. right. Yeah. There's no yeah, technical yeah. reason it yeah, can't yeah, be. Yeah. But from a practical standpoint, you just right. wonder that somebody finds and exploits something in an oven. Absolutely. And they right. turn every oven up to a 1,000. Right. And, and so... I think mean, that's what happened with, you know, we had a um, DDoS attack mm -hmm. with the toasters, basically, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was exactly. crazy, right? It was just, how could that bring us the, the DNS down if, if <laughs> we've got all these... Uh, but, but it is true. And then you don't realize that when you go buy an IoT device, when you go buy, oh, I'm just buying this little camera, oh, the, the, the brand version is this much and this version is mm -hmm. cheap, I'm just going to go, it's the same functionality, what difference does it make? And also, even if you buy the brand version, you don't know what the hell is happening with your data, so you might save yourself a little bit in terms of maybe they have a little better security, but you don't know because it, there's no certification that says, oh, I've passed this, which I think we should definitely have, especially with things that go in the house and, and you know, in the car. And in the car, I'm a little bit more um, less concerned about because the OEMs will check those things, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But the car OEMs will check that. But with the with things that go in the house. And in the vulnerable. United States, there's probably not a mechanism to bring that about, is there? I mean, like, how would you see that sort of certification of consumer devices as being, you know, it gets the, the privacy eye of approval from right. Good Privacy Co. Yeah, see, that, that's... Uh, very good question, and I, I haven't seen that, but we definitely do need that, right? Mm -hmm. And similar things is happening with drones, right? At least now FAA has, has got some policies that they've put in place that, you know, if you buy a drone past, I think it was this last January, that you have to register it and things like that. So there's a little bit more regulation going into it, but still, you know, if somebody doesn't register, like, there's no enforcement of it mm -hmm. that I know of. So. so when you think of all these technologies that are affecting the enterprise and, as you say, our own lives, are you in, in mass optimistic about the future or worried about it? 
I am optimistic. Okay, so technology is doesn't uh, know the good from the bad, right. right? So it's a powerful technology when we talk about AI mm -hmm. combined with IoT, combined with the cloud, combined with 5G, 4G, fast networks. So when you put them all together, we have a very, very powerful set of tools that we can apply for good or apply for bad, right? So mm -hmm. I am concerned that there are, that, that <laughs> we are not in front of this in terms of policies and regulations to give it some sort of guardrails, right? We're kind of behind the eight ball. And it might have been okay with internet to say, okay, well, it could be wild, wild west for a while and then we put mm -hmm. the reins on it. But with this, this AI technology, I feel like we are already behind and thank God for things like open AI and other mm -hmm. similar initiatives, but I don't think that's enough. You know, I really think we need to go further. One danger, of course, is nations using it to, uh, you know, now they can, every email can be read, every phone call exactly. can be heard. And we know it's been done, right? right. So, and so you wonder if it becomes, I mean, I'm an optimist, don't get me wrong. I, right. I, I wrote a book called Infinite Progress, for goodness sake. <laughs> but you wonder if, you, if it's not a technology that fundamentally can shore up totalitarian countries by allowing them to essentially surveil every aspect of everybody's life and model it through the same kinds of tools we use to look for tumors, they can look for dissidents. Right. And do you see any, is that an intractable problem? Is there any way out well, of it? Well, I mean, we know that's happening now, right? I mean, we know that like, um, you go to some countries, they've become cashless society. So if mm -hmm. as a foreigner you go in there, you want to do anything, you have to open a bank account, you have to give them your passport, you have to, you know, they, they take pictures of your face, there's face recognition. So you know, the minute you walk into, <laughs> into the country, there's a lot of data is already, you know, taken away from you. So mm -hmm. is this used for good or for bad, you know? Um, who knows? Um, but but well, that's definitely, but I'm, I am a very, uh, I'm optimist. I'm also um, thinking that uh, thoughtful people and, uh, and you and I and others need to really put our uh, time, money, uh, into really putting some guardrails around that. And think the worst scenario, just like when you come up with a piece of software, you, you test it out, you, know, you test it for mm -hmm. security, you test it for bugs, you test it for this. You, know, you do this, if you're in networking, you do this chaos monkey thing to make sure you know, right. it all works. Why not have something like that for, you know, you know, at the very least for biases in data, in, in the, the privacy of data, how protected is, is the data? And, uh, and then have some certifications around it. So we know, we buy this surveillance camera, what level of privacy we're getting mm -hmm. or, you know. Well, um, that, that half hour just whizzed by. You're an interesting person. How do people follow what you do? Like, how do people follow what you do? I'm, um, I'm uh, on LinkedIn, very active on that. I'm mm -hmm. also on Twitter under Arani Group. Um, so I'd be happy to hear from people on either of those places. All right, we will link to all of that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, really enjoyed it, Byron. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, and if you have, we'd like to encourage you to go to gigaohm.com where you can see blogs, podcasts, and read research reports on all the latest trends in IT and the tech industry. For all your future forward advice on tech, gigaohm.com, it's the place to be.